Oh my goodness, there are carers. And he's on. saying there are carers on. Hello, carers. <laughs> Welcome. So we've we've somehow managed to make ourselves be able to be heard, but we've we've silenced Ed. I'm not quite sure how we've done that, and I promise everybody it wasn't something that we did on purpose. But <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, I don't think it's anything oh, that I've done. Right. So Ed is now saying they can hear you, but nobody can hear me. So we have a silent Ed. So how about we have a conversation, Katie? Let's do that. Let's do that. We can we we can do that, can't we? We're, we're, we're there. We've done the technical bit. That was a difficult bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully Ed can join us. But he's normally so good at interview questions. And <laughs> are you making that applause happen? No, I'm not. I think that's him. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Maybe that's Ed cheering us from the sidelines. Ed, if that is you in your ghostly form, give us another cheer. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Ed is sitting in the corner. <laughs> the only thing he can he's going to clap cheer. us along. He might be able to boo. Oh yeah, or something. Okay. So Katie, what um, stuck out with you from yesterday's training? I was really impressed by everybody's ability to do something that I'm guessing that, like us, people were doing for the first time too. So adapting mm -hmm. into a different way of working. Um, and hearing people's ability to be able to get involved and talk to one another and talk to us, it was a very different experience, wasn't it? It was very different, and I was really impressed, having been on uh, a few uh, Zoom trainings myself um, as a recipient, some of which are great and some of which not so good, but the breakout rooms haven't always been particularly satisfactory, um, and whilst technologically wise, um, not sure that I did it as well as I could have done. In terms of people's feedback, they certainly said that the discussions in the breakout rooms were very valuable, and that you know that opportunity to meet carers, I guess, from other hubs, etc. You're suddenly just in a virtual room with them is quite an interesting opportunity. But it sounds like people made the most of it. Mm, mm. And the use of the chat board was really interesting too, the way people felt that they could be responding immediately to what you and I were speaking about and being able to answer those questions in a thoughtful way. I, I really enjoyed being able to do when sometimes it can be a bit of a rugby scrum, can't it, when you're doing live training? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was really interesting because on the one hand, it's less accessible. On the other hand, it's more accessible, especially if you've got two of you. So the fact that I knew you were able to have a look over the chat and see um, what people were at. And so the questions were so relevant, but also other people, because you and I are uh, by nowhere experts in this field so other people adding their links um, books that they'd read top tips their knowledge was incredibly useful I, I learn an awful lot from that what I hadn't realized was that the chat disappears when the zoom training ends so next time before oh. I press end training for all which I did a bit um, what's the word too quickly is a posher word but that'll do you were just um, keen <laughs> yeah i was just keen um 
that I'll make sure that I read through and copy down people's links and suggestions and questions. So that's a good learning for me next time. Hmm. Yeah, and I and I've had a. I, what I'm wondering is if other if other people are listening and would like to ask questions, I'm happy to facilitate that in the usual way, but via email. So I'm currently on my email, and for those who are, don't know me or outside the Devon Hub or haven't come across me before, I'm katie.drew, D-R-E-W, at blueskyfostering.co.uk. If there's anything you wanted to add to this conversation or maybe a question you didn't get the chance to ask yesterday or any other reflection on your experience, you can email me and I'll be able to read that as Helen and I are talking. So please feel free to contact us that in that way. It's, um, that this sounds, is new to us too. That sounds brilliant. Um, also, I've just downloaded the app um, for Podbean and you and I are down as caller one or two. So I'm assuming that if other people have got the app, they can call in and we can like a, like a live so. radio program. We can become DJs, Katie. <laughs> uh, oh dear, that, that's almost just track? too much freedom. <laughs> yes. Okay, back in the box. <laughs> We're back to like yesterday again, aren't we? Where I was not to do my special dancing when everybody was with us on camera. I just yes, stopped myself. So. <laughs> okay, so um, in the absence currently of external questions, I want to ask you a question, Katie. Okay. Uh, well, two questions I've got in mind, actually. One is um, fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, FASD. We touched on briefly yesterday, and what I was saying was I didn't particularly want to show a face just because sometimes it kind of pathologizes um, people a bit. Um, have you worked with many kids with fecal alcohol syndrome and was it fairly obvious to you when you first met them? I've worked with two. Uh, one was very obvious, one was a baby and I wouldn't, didn't find it obvious to start with. Right. So one was a parent with um, known drug and alcohol addictions and believed to be using during pregnancy um, who I was responsible for working with mum to know whether it was going to be viable for her to remain caring for her child. Yes. And it wasn't obvious, and obviously tests were ongoing at that point. And in the time we were working together, it was confirmed that the baby did have fetal alcohol syndrome. And then okay. I've worked How, with... What were those tests? How was that confirmed? Do you know, I don't know. This is going back quite a long time ago now. Mm. This is when I was still working in London and mum was under the care of the Maudsley Hospital. Right, so I was some kind of medical test. There's the, I can't remember what they're called. They're like cranium measurement tests where they measure yes. the distances between, it's the philtrum, so it's the, the distance between the nostrils and the top lip and the level yeah. of convexity of the forehead. Yeah. Uh, so very, very much a yeah. medical testing rather than something that would have taken place within the mental health team that I was part of. Yes. Yes. So those are some of the, again, people who are interested can look online. Those are some of the classic uh, facial uh, features that are presentations of children with FASD. And sometimes it does seem quite obvious in the same way that you might recognize a child with Down syndrome with classic facial features. Other times it's more subtle, but then um, I think 
um, many of them do then go through the kind of measuring process even if it's not but it it's sometimes that is the way that FASD is alerted to one just by the particular features of the face um, so that's interesting to be aware of when we're thinking of any of our kids who are struggling absolutely um, and obviously many of their parents struggled and obviously many of their parents have had drug and alcohol issues whether that was through pregnancy or not and my second question Miss Drew mm -hmm. yeah um, is <laughs> when you're on the island no um, <laughs> <laughs> which therapy book would you like to read um what first alerts you when you're getting a new blue sky placement um you either know the carers or you don't you're reading the referral for the young person reading their chronology maybe do a home visit to meet them start working with the carers and hearing about them what's what kind of things start you thinking oh maybe there's a something else here maybe there's a need for assessment um so i've got a, i guess a, a, a one that's a bit personal to me that mm -hmm. because of having worked in the cams team for a few years before coming to blue sky um i guess i get a bit of a feeling that maybe this is a young person that i would be expecting to have been working with in that role Okay, that's interesting. So it's a kind of a vibe, a kind of a... Yeah, I was talking with a family about it today, actually, because we've got a young person who, it's a family who are being supported on the TLC programme under 12. We've got a young person that we know has developmental trauma, but mm -hmm. some of the experiences that he's now disclosing and information from his social worker and combined with this feeling I have that actually this is a young person that I would like to be working with, all mm -hmm. sort of trip me into thinking that there is something else going on beyond the stuff that would fit under our heading of what we would expect to be working with with therapeutic fostering. Oh, that is, that's very interesting. I think for me, there's an element about progress. And obviously, this is very complicated because um, part of you and I's role, Katie, is to educate and manage carers' expectations. So I think one of the early expectations can be, well, look, you know, they're safe here, they're warm here, we're nice people, we're feeding them. And yet, nothing seems to be shifting mm -hmm. now if that happens two three four five months into placement and contacts problematic and school isn't great then generally we're helping carers think okay well these behaviors ways of relating have taken a long time coming into being trauma doesn't heal overnight however there's some young people that i'm still writing very similar or things actually getting worse you know, and they've been in placement for two years with carers who I think are working well with a supportive school. So there's something for me about we don't expect instant change and we don't expect overnight success. But sometimes when there's a real stuckness, that's when I have to think, hmm. Is there something else we're not aware of? Now, mm. of course, that could be network support. It could be not the perfect educational environment it could be that family contact continues to traumatize them it could be 
um, that there's something that I haven't picked up in terms of how it would be helpful for the carers to parent, something more therapeutic. It could be that the trauma is deep and actually as well as everything we're providing, they need some individual one-to-one -one long-term therapy. But that's also when I start thinking, hmm. Having said that, there were a couple of young people who in our first reflective practice session with the carers, my mind immediately went to diagnosis. So I yeah. just, uh, what's the word, counteracted myself there. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lack of progress, but sometimes you're absolutely right, Katie. I think it's, it's a combination of intuition and experience where you think, I think it's a bit like um, just having a feeling that there's another energy there, that, that this is quite powerfully driven possibly from a neuro neurodevelopmental condition um mm. and then that hypothesis is kind of confirmed in a way as we support carers to respond in certain ways and it either hits the mark and you think okay yeah we're getting there with the developmental trauma attack or the opposite thinking hmm this is just bouncing off the side here. It's water off a duck's back. We're not actually kind of having the kind of impact we'd like to be having. Do you find those also over time as we sort of the, the, the number of children and families we support using this method, this approach, the, the children, the new children we meet and young people and the new family stories we're hearing, they start, they start to fit within a continuum of the work. So matching the even sometimes small steps of progress it becomes really obvious when they're not there yes i think you're absolutely right and uh, there might be let's call him tommy so say tommy's been with um good therapeutic carers for two months and there's absolutely no reason why he should be a completely different person. And maybe the carers are feeling a bit stuck, but I just am so clear of all the tiny, subtle, not very obvious, more about emotions and micro interactions that absolutely is Tommy is in the right place and he is making progress and the carers are doing a great job. Whereas mm. with Jill, um, it might be two months on, and yet there's something very stuck. You can't even see those little, little changes. You know that she's safe. You know she's warm, cared for, fed. And yet there's something about her that's unable to, to uh, take advantage of what's on offer um, mm. without some kind of additional understanding on our part. And I think this, you know, us trying to find our way through the forest to try and work out what is wood and what is tree and what is something mm -hmm. different. This isn't just us, is it? Um, outside no. of Blue Sky. <laughs> I work with um, people in different fields and different trainings. And we've got a locally, we have a cohort of young people for whom very much could. So this is the specific, the is this trauma or is this somebody who's on the autistic spectrum and yeah. we've got it's an, it's seven in number young people one of whom is a blue sky young person and the others are all outside of blue sky who have all of the professionals supporting the families running completely with parallel planning of 
it is unclear mm. and some of these young people have been with the families they're now living with for only a few months and some with many years so time is one of the factors that might help us to understand which pathway Absolutely. we're on yeah um but time alone isn't enough the sense of mm -hmm. safety doesn't have a uh, a known time span does it it's not like hey you've been here six months you're feeling safe now we're going to know whether it's trauma or not yes exactly yeah and sometimes it is like that sometimes um there's a sense that okay what are we targeting here we're targeting therapeutic parenting we want the young person to be able to trust adults can you hear me guys oh hello oh, Ed's, Ed. Ed's just jumped in oh it's working <laughs> I can, Ed, and you're very loud <laughs> you're very loud sorry <laughs> sorry sorry my word oh sorry i know i've interrupted you at like a really important key pivotal <laughs> yeah, moment true. but i'm just i'm just i'm just celebrating the fact that i've been sat here set the whole thing up it worked and i was testing it no it doesn't work oh don't worry we're all, we're all right we can we're well, we rolling with it <laughs> yeah well yeah you don't need me well, obviously Ed, i think I'm it's used to... a, a deep and powerful metaphor for what katie and i are talking about which is kind of um a lot of skills that sometimes work incredibly well and sometimes confound <laughs> everybody despite the best planning and intentions <laughs> <laughs> well it's good to be real isn't it it is good to be real. It is good to be real, absolutely. And so really I interrupted you, and you guys, things. you guys, yeah, no. Um, so you guys were talking about fetal alcohol syndrome when I jumped in. So don't let me uh, kill your flow. Sorry. Oh, no, we're way past that now. We've right? moved on. Oh, sorry, that was I, so I, I yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we are now on to how we know as practitioners when there might be a neurodevelopmental condition as well as the attachment and trauma and how as uh, practitioners we spot that in kind of micro or subtle ways that are really hard to see when you're living with a young person um, the day-to-day -day little changes or the first time they I mean there's so many joys in this job and sometimes it's literally the first time a child expresses empathy or the first time mm. they turn to a carer when they're hurt and say oh I'm hurting can you help me please or the first time as a carer you can just say oh will you stop that please you know not your best parenting maybe but it doesn't cause a massive meltdown these are absolute little triumphs which to me indicate that something is happening um in the field of emotional safety and attachment. But sometimes I've seen, you know, if I think honestly, how is this relationship with the carer? It can be brilliant. It can be the, does the young person feel safe? Yes. Is it a good placement? Yes. But is there a sense of stuckness? And despite feeling safe and supported and ongoing therapeutic parenting, there's something a bit round and round in circles going on. Well, I was quite surprised when I've um, when I've spoken to carers about them. I, I know we were talking about um, the sort of full range of stuff, but particularly talking about fetal alcohol syndrome. I know you said you've moved past that, but the amount of things that fall under that category, the amount of things that potentially cross over, um, and then a lot of carers that I've spoken to and worked with have said, "Oh, actually, my young person has got quite a lot of those traits." Um, mm -hmm. and a lot of those kind of things being displayed. And obviously, one of the things we talked about in the training was the comorbidity of things, wasn't it? Um, but actually, because you've got one thing or one trait or one particular thing going on, it doesn't necessarily mean you've, you fit one diagnosis, does it? Um, no, which I guess a lot of carers are trying to kind of understand. 
absolutely crucial and it it's um definitely not one size fits all and a mm. lot of the symptoms or descriptions you know can apply to all of us um on a bad day um mm. so non-compliant or um very rude or doesn't get social skills you know those are surface indicators of any number of either conditions or personality or mood on that day so it is quite um, it's really important not to jump to superficial conclusions. And I guess what Katie and I are doing a lot is kind of having working hypotheses. So our working hypotheses with most of our TLC children would be that they've got poor attachment and developmental trauma. We know that they wouldn't be in care otherwise. But then we're also just keeping an eye out to see if there is something else in addition. I guess as well, um, some of the things that stood out for me, and I'm, I mean, I've got some of the questions in front of me, and, and so obviously some of them were answered um, at the time. But what, one of the things was kind of that concept of growing out of some of these conditions. Um, and obviously, you know, one of the reasons that people are carers and that we work with young people is because we want to kind of, one of the things we always hear, isn't it, is that I want to make a difference to a young person. And actually, you know, this isn't the end of the road for our kids, is it? Um, so what kind of things um, would you guys suggest for maybe some of the conditions and, and um, yeah, conditions that, that we were talking about yesterday? Um, what would be some of your kind of strategies that kind of jump out? That Do you know what, of, Heather, that's, you know, I know that's, it's the million perfect, dollar question. I, no, no, no. But I, what, what, when we didn't have a you, I suggested that people email me with questions now so that I could try and wind them through our conversation. And we have had a question very much about when's the opportunity to look at and talk about strategies, techniques, tools and methods, as well as okay. talking about what we did yesterday, which is mm -hmm. the, the theory and some symptoms. And, um, yeah. you know, I think there's a there's a there's a there's a question within that about what training and support we offer as an agency for carers in in terms of strategies and it also feels like that's a real challenge in the times that we're in now yeah uh, the workshop type training that we've done previously and i talk about the sort of self-harm training that i've run when we it's it's i find it very easy to be generating ideas and getting other people to be generating ideas and i saw some of that happening on the training yesterday and we were just talking before you joined us about how people being able to talk to one another in the small groups but also chipping in on the talk board allowed yeah. lots of sharing of ideas and resources but there are, you know, there are very, there are some very well known, very well utilised strategies for particular behaviours that become as a result of any one of the neurodevelopmental disorders we were talking about yesterday. But they're they're not mix and match, are they, Helen? There, there are some no. are very specific to particular needs. Some are more general, but some are very specific. Yes. Yes, said Helen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'm so when I when when people yesterday were asking, you know, what do we do with this? This feels very much like the bread and butter of any of the clinical practitioners' work in sessions or in groups, where we are very much, you know, looking at the strategies that are in place, thinking them through, being able to apply our our knowledge and skills and that of the group we're working with to be able to work out what is the best possible way of working. But it so is can so I just ask then, individual. sorry, 
because mm. I th- because I, th- I think I think you've kind of made, made, made you know you know talking in me talking in like layman's terms and stuff. But so would you would be therefore be better addressing what it is we're actually seeing in terms of the behaviour rather than looking at it as treating the condition? Do you know what I mean? So say you know well, you're I seeing guess... A, B, and C. Is that is that more what you're saying, or have I the, that go- the golden rule? And again, we will all have our different ways of of talking about this and describing it. But for me, it's always what is that behaviour communicating? So mm. paceful parenting is very interested in what lies beneath the behaviour. So what is it about a child's previous story that may be meaning that they're acting the way they are? So it's not necessarily, you know, we, we've all heard and had the experiences where someone has gone, they just snapped. There was nothing that made it happen. Everything was yeah. absolutely perfect. And then bang, it was like a volcano exploding. And what we do is we slow it down in our reflective practice sessions, clues in the name, they're reflective, is that we slow it down and we're The other clue really is in the name, which is practice. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's not a done deal. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know, Sorry, we are Katie, really I'm honing in, aren't we? I mean, and, and how many times do we do this, Helen, where we're like sitting down and saying, okay, so... I always say, be my eyes and ears. I wasn't there, but be my eyes and ears. Let's talk it through together and let's really, really think what was happening in the moment, what happened before. So that's the paceful parenting approach of trying to understand what created the behavior in the moment. But also there's this idea of trying to think what is being communicated by the behavior. What are we, what are we not getting? What are we missing? What do we need to hone in on as the people supporting this child? And I think as well, um, I remember when I first started here, like nearly quite going on eight years ago now when I was just a wee boy, um, was um, when getting carers and, and stuff to, to explain the behaviour, rather than just saying they smashed a window, actually, those carers who were able to say, actually, this is what went, and almost like not role playing it, because sometimes that makes the hairs that stand up on the back of people's neck, but being able to fully describe that allowed me at the time as somebody working directly directly with that young person to really understand what was going on so it really painted mm. that picture so not all of us are able to stand up and i'm not saying like jump around the room to describe it but being able to really say this is what happened oh okay they actually did this first of all and then because we're not there are we we've not got you know mm-hmm. cctv set up in everyone's house to be able to see the full thing that's going on before and that's always really stood out for me rather than just saying oh they, they punched the wall well actually what did that kind of what did that look like? What would they do beforehand? And, you know, all that kind of stuff that those people like yourselves that I've been fortunate enough to work with are, are able to draw out of people. I think that's one of the skills that you guys as CPs have. That's why I don't like to talk too much around you because you're always looking for something. <laughs> <laughs> we can see what you're me. thinking, Ed. <laughs> Absolutely. The third eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I can I... One of the key... No, I'm interrupting that. Sorry. <laughs> I just it just relates to what you were saying about when Katie talks about pace. So the C in pace is curiosity and that for so all us um, clinical practitioners are inherently curious and it's gold dust for us when carers are also curious. So yes, of course you're annoyed that your window was broken. Yes, of course you're confused because you'd had a lovely day and you know it's fine to express annoyance and confusion, but that curiosity that you're describing, Ed, then the, but what on earth was going on? What happened before? Mm-hmm. What happened after? How can I make sense of this? How does this help me understand the child? Asking the child why, nine times out of ten, they'll say, well, I don't know. So what? how can we try and understand? And sometimes we can't. 
um, we can't mm. understand and we need to um, parent anyway without fully understanding but either there's a communication like Katie says or sometimes it's a need what what need is not being met is it for stimulation connection is this child bored is this child trying to trying to say something so yeah that curiosity is absolutely crucial Curiosity. Said, well, yeah, curiosity killed the cat, but cu- <laughs> thank you, mother. Uh, curiosity. <laughs> curiosity, help, yeah. Help, it, help the foster care, I don't know. There's a, there's a sign in there somewhere. If anybody who is yeah. listening can think of something that works with that, that will do. We put on a t shirt. Um, so, um, one of the questions, now this, this resonates with me um, because I've done uh, a lot of expeditions with young people. And mm. one of the things that we always remove from them is uh, energy drinks. One of the things that I don't believe should actually be called energy drinks, they, they don't give you any energy. Um, but now one of the things that you guys were talking about yesterday is you were talking about self-medicating um, mm. for those people or actually sometimes and our, our young people not liking how medication potentially makes them feel and et cetera, et cetera. And one of the questions that came in was, um, it said, nearly all the teenagers I know with ADHD have a high sugar and caffeine diet. Can you comment on this, please, both in possibly causing ADHD behaviours or making them worse? So, um, yeah, does, is, you know, I think we touched on that yesterday, but I, I would be interested to kind of just explore that a little bit further if that's possible. Mm. Katie, do you, you want to take this one? Or I was going to say, do you, yeah, I was talking about this yesterday and saying about how mm. an, all, a lot of the young people that working with currently, working with CAMS, who are um, hyperactive and then are maybe prescribed Ritalin, Concerta, or one of the other licensed drugs which are a stimulant to be able to help them to be calm and focused in the moment. And I think you were saying yesterday, Helen, it's a little bit of a, you know, it takes you some getting your head around, doesn't it? That actually we are, we prescribe a stimulant to a young person who is already hyperactive. But what it yes. does is it stimulates a very specific part of the brain that then allows the child to be able to focus on other tasks, similarly to stimming behaviors or other ways of calming ourselves. Now, Particularly, I'm talking about adolescents I've worked with who are just possibly more able to communicate about their experiences, have talked about how taking Ritalin or Concerta makes them feel slowed down. So they they, they are used to their brains being whizzy and all over the place and have become accustomed to functioning in that way. And some would talk about, that's me, that's how I am, that's how I want to be. So although we outsiders might say, it's better when you take your medication, you're able to slow down and focus, you can learn, you can listen. For them, what they're experiencing is the world in a slowed down way. So Mm. then to... To, to, to sort of be able to counteract that, they will then be drinking energy drinks, eating high sugar foods, uh, which then sort of speed the system up again. Now they don't work in quite the same way, but the feeling that young people I've spoken with have, have talked about is that they're sort of, well, the, the concerta makes me feel turned down and the energy drinks make me feel turned up. It is one way of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, it sounds like someone's eating one of those snacks right now. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I would, I would also agree. I would, th- you know, it, it's those things like, um, you know, for anybody who who, who exercises, you know, it, you know that like it's that that rush you kind of get afterwards, and, and and it's it's when when I'm when I feel sluggish and slow and stuff like that, every the whole world seems to just turn at a completely different speed. 
Um, I look mm. around and, and, and everything's like, I'm like, well, that's not right. And it's, it's, it's like a groggy feeling, I would say, if I'm not, mm -hmm. if I'm not at my best. And, um, and I think that sometimes we have a desire to want young people to be a, a certain way because you think that that's the way that's best for them, don't you, you think? You know, I, I'm definitely mm. like that. And on some occasions, I'm like, no, no, you know, this, this monster energy drink or whatever isn't going to help you. But actually, I think you've, you've, you've changed my, my opinion on it, on actually more understanding why there is that, well, I guess you could say, addiction to it but not I don't mean it in the usual sense of the terms but that is actually I want to feel a certain way um mm. you've you've, you've, you've yeah. turned my head so I'm a I'm a stubborn old man and you've you've helped me um and we talk about neurodiversity don't we rather than us... go on Helen go ahead Katie oh I was just saying say that that, that neurodiversity oh <laughs> Uh, after you, no, after you, no, after you. Right, I'm, gonna, I'm actually at it's so English. school waiting to pick her up. Okay, so anybody that's in, Helen, Helen, Helen's turned into a Dalek. Oh, have I? Mm, you did. All, all we heard, all, all we heard, was nicotine, alcohol, and chocolate. Can you chocolate. hear me at all? Or we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> absolutely. Can you hear me now? Yep. You can. Totally. Yes, I can. Yep. Can you? Yes. Okay. So, yep. um, just to uh, my last input before I go, just to say that I think the desire to feel different from what one does is a fundamental human over the ages have always had no well on that note oh, bless her. on that note i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna um that make you happier i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna disconnect helen because we can't hear you helen and it's all gone dark so helen you're gonna you're gonna now gonna leave us um and you're gonna be quite annoyed but i'm gonna kick you out because i can tell you what's cool so goodbye <laughs> There we go. I think she's gone. Oh, um, there we go. Bless her. So sorry, Katie. Um, we're just going to have to answer the last few questions. Okay. Is that all right? Yeah, of course. Oh, there she is. Oh. She's saying goodbye. <laughs> I tried to kick her out. Yeah. So, so there's a correlation between. <laughs> <It's> the... <laughs> yeah. There, sorry, Katie. There's a correlation but, between. There's a correlation between those who are of a disposition. So neurodiversity mm. are hyperactive and seeking out experiences that boost that hyperactivity. And what Helen was saying was that, you know, it, it's a normal sensation. We, we are sensation seeking individuals, all of us, and we seek to have, have experiences that take us outside ourselves. So it, we're always having to be very careful to make sure that we're not seeing as something different or that is neurotypical, which is that experience of seeking different experiences. And then obviously, and then what, like we say, so like going back to the whole meds and stuff like that, actually, and not taking them and taking them can play like quite a big part in regulating how we are presenting to the world Absolutely. day to day. And hyperactive people can be really good at getting things done. But yeah. behaviours that it, as an adult that are seen to be a positive are often seen as a negative in a child. 
Yeah, I would massively agree. And I think that's, you know, for, for, for people who have not had a diagnosis when they're younger or whatever as a child. And then in the adult world, you, you, I think we were talking about this yesterday, you find, you find your place a little bit better. Yeah. Whereas at school, we're expected to do, you know, we go into a classroom, we stand here, sit we do still, this, we don't do that, move. We sit still, yeah, totally. We're asked to listen, you know. You know, my son has, isn't allowed to go to the toilet in a class in a lesson, and 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 actually, mm. you know, for somebody who maybe isn't is nervous or just needs a break, if you to not be able to do that, it's going to cause a mm. lot of height and, and stress. And then when you add the other complexities of some of the um, neuro things we were talking about yesterday, it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a um, a, a cocktail, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. And so I think that's why it's so important. We were talking about diagnoses, diagnoses yesterday, weren't we? And um, and how it's important that the right one is made at the right time. Um, and obviously, yesterday we spoke about the process for getting a diagnosis, and obviously we were saying about making sure that we go through our supervisor, social workers, um, and those those kind of teams around the child, but making sure the carers feel um, empowered enough to be able to say those things and say how they're feeling. Um, about the potential things that their young people might be um, facing. Um, Absolutely. It's the people closest to a child who are spotting when they're not functioning the way they might expect or not making the progress that we would expect. And we need to be listening to parents and carers to help us to understand what a child's situation is. So it's incredibly important that they're communicating what they see through every single channel. Um, and, and starting to get a picture where we think that there is something else going on. And I guess and that kind of goes back to the point earlier, doesn't it, about saying being able to kind of describe that in a way that really does kind of bring to life what it is. And I guess that's why carer recordings are so important as well, and they're factual, and so that when, you know, those of us that are working with young people in different occasions, we can fully understand what it is we're actually kind of um, having to um, kind of help our carers with. Um, I've just got a couple more questions, if that's okay, Katie. Um, okay, five minutes. So, and then yeah, to go. five minutes. Yeah, if that's okay. Um, so one <laughs> of them, um, obviously, you guys actually already mentioned that slightly because you're talking about at the moment, obviously, having that connection with carers. Normally at training, we sit there, we bounce ideas off each other. Um, and actually, it makes you realise you're not the only one who's experiencing the things that you are witnessing in your house with the young person that you're caring for and stuff like that. And actually, it's so important, isn't it, that when there's stuff like this online, we're able to to take part in it and as we get better at using breakout rooms mm. and stuff like that mm. but also from a carer's perspective of being confident enough to put their hand up and say yep I want to be a part of that um I guess you know it's just trying to re-emphasize the importance of that really isn't it absolutely I mean the reason we, we with our with our model why we do reflective practice groups as well as individual sessions is to facilitate that group support that hive mind of many ideas coming forth rather than just between you and your clinical practitioner you know there's lots and lots of evidence of where people have attended therapeutic sessions individually or as groups and being much more effective when you meet as a group you still there oh yes well, I am yeah, yeah. It sounded like I had a spaceship landing beside me, so I don't know. No, so no, I was just, I'm still just saying the reason we do therapeutic groups as well as individual sessions in reflective practice is because there's lots of evidence about how group experiences help us to learn in different ways. There's the social connection, the learning from each other, that sort of hive mind. And I think what I was seeing yesterday was lots of commonality between how we were using the chat groups, how people were communicating with us, with how we run therapeutic groups. I was yeah. really surprised. 
I think um, one of the things I'd, I'd like to finish on this is um, one of the comments from one of the carers, who's actually one of the second carers, as we would call them, is um, he said I wasn't um, able to attend uh, normally because of work commitment, um, but he was able to do a split day. So uh, finished at 9.45, and restarted once the training had finished. Um, and obviously it's so important, isn't it, that our, that our what you would, you know, to use the, the, the term, that our, our second carers have an understanding of these things as well isn't it rather mm. than just it all kind mm. of going on to our main carers um and and i guess this has provided us the opportunity to hopefully be able to help our second carers feel more part of what's going on but at the same time be able to support the you know what you we would typically typically call the main carer wouldn't we because they might miss out on things like this sometimes yeah and the flexibility that comes from being able to meet in an online world in terms of timing now most of our carers wouldn't be able to travel to training in the evening because they're caring for children yeah. but many yeah. are free to travel to their laptop in their home once a child is settled or asleep yeah. particularly if there are other people sharing the caring so i think it's opened up so many avenues in which hopefully we can be experienced as being more responsive and more supportive of all of our carers you know, you yeah. guys are out there doing it 24-7. And I know that in the past, the fact that most of us are nine to five can be experienced as being not particularly helpful. And I think the online world is giving us, look at how we're doing this now. I'm in yeah. Devon. <laughs> <laughs> Helen's in Brighton and I'm in Bournemouth. Yeah, and people who are listening are um, actually, you know, different places again. So it's, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we can connect up in a way that just wouldn't be possible. When it works properly, anyway. Um, so well, listen, um, we learned. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, again, um, for anybody who who is listening, um, who has come on live to join us, listen, we really appreciate it. It's the first time we've we've got this working. We've had an incredible amount of technical problems. Um, I've got. A, a, two computers running and my phone to try and call in um helen had a couple of issues it meant we were slightly delayed kate has got a run so i do apologize um we as we obviously get better with things um like katie and helen have said practice we're practicing mm. and uh, thank Absolutely. you for giving up your time to listen to us and katie um helen's obviously gone now um she's gone to run to the shop probably no doubt um but uh thank you for giving up your time to talk to me um anyone who did attend the training um you're going to get an email from us um in the next quarter, few hours with the power of the presentation um along with the audio uh from the from the course so you can listen back go through the slides in your own time um and as well as a reading list as well katie thanks for for talking to me thank you for just trying so hard to make this work no i really appreciate it <laughs> and um I'll, hopefully i'll catch up with you soon thanks everyone take care all cheers bye thanks bye bye